0: Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. Great to have you with us for Series 4, Episode 3. As we continue talking about uh, this stage in the growth of the Church that Luke has been describing in the Book of Acts, by which uh, the area of influence of the Gospel is growing significantly um, in the Gentile world you'll remember that the story starts just in one location in Jerusalem and then spreads to Judea and Samaria, that's series two. Then in series three, we see the beginning of non-Jews or Gentiles uh, believing and forming churches, notably in a city called Antioch, Syrian Antioch, 600 kilometers north of Jerusalem, where Paul and Barnabas were based. And now in series four, We've seen how Paul and Barnabas have been commissioned and sent out into new areas, completely new areas, in uh, a part of the world which we today call Turkey, but which in those days they called Asia or Asia Minor, several Roman provinces there. And so we've seen Paul and Barnabas moving around. First they went to the island of Cyprus, then we found them in a city called Pisidian, Antioch uh, where they had uh, uh, some success but lots of opposition as well and now they move on and so this episode is called Church Planting in Action and we see two examples of church planting in two other cities in this district around the area where Pisidian Antioch is located. And so we're just going to try and see what we can learn about this process of evangelism and church planting that was beginning to get established now, beginning to become a bit of a pattern, and it continues all the way through Paul's ministry. So we're in Acts 14, and we are going to be uh, in, first of all, a location, a city called Iconium, which is about a hundred kilometers east of the previous place they were in, in the last episode, Pisidian Antioch. So they traveled a hundred kilometers to find a major town, which they know to have a Jewish community in it. And this is important for the story. So we're going to read, first of all, uh, Acts 14, verses 1 to 7. At Iconium... Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Laconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So as they arrived in the city, Luke says very interestingly, they went as usual to the synagogue. This is the first step. Go to the place where you've got the best connection and the easiest way. Of explaining the gospel, and for Paul and Barnabas this was the Jewish synagogue. They'd done it in and Antioch, they'd done it in Cyprus, we saw earlier on, and uh, we know that the church in Antioch, uh, there would have been going to the synagogues first and then to the non-Jewish community uh, amongst the believers there. So it's a pattern that is developing. Wherever there's a synagogue, Paul will go there first. And, Uh, he he went and he obviously spoke in other places too because it seems here they spent a considerable time there and they communicated all across the city but they started in the synagogue and there was a, a division in the synagogue some people believed in their message and other people began to be very suspicious of it and refuse the message and even try to turn other people away from this new found faith. But there's some notable aspects of this evangelistic campaign. Luke just uh, shows how different things came together to make it effective. They were communicating the gospel powerfully, verse uh, uh, verse 1. They spoke so effectively. So there's really high level communication. The gift of evangelism is a tremendous gift in the church, and some people have the ability to explain clearly and effectively and powerfully about Christ, and Paul and Barnabas could certainly do that. So they spoke effectively, but they also spent quite a lot of time there. Verse 3, they spent considerable time there, so they invested as much time as they could in the people of the city. But along with good communication and time, there were miraculous signs. So it's quite clear that God enabled them to perform many miracles of healing. And this always draws attention to the gospel. It's just a way of demonstrating that God is real, that wakes people up to listen to the message. It's like a signpost to something else. That's what a healing miracle is in the way Luke writes about it. God was enabling them to perform signs and wonders. But the outcome was complicated because although a great number believed, the city was divided. And again, Paul get, became something of a celebrity in the city. He made such a huge impact as he had done in the previous city, in Pisidian Antioch, where the whole city was agitated about the message. So the same thing happens here. This is very public communication. But there's a threat of violence persecution. There was a plot to mistreat them and even to stone them. Now that's very sinister. Stoning them to death. So Paul realised that his life was on the line and so they moved on quickly having established a community of faith. Some believers had gathered so this is exactly what happened in the previous city. It happens again here. They stay as long as they can, then they just have to go because the pressure becomes too great. And there's no point uh, staying when uh, you're going to risk your life when you've got so many other places to go to. So they made the judgment that they needed to move on and Jesus had said even in Matthew uh, chapter 10 when he commissioned the 12 to go round the cities of Israel that there were times when they needed to move on and just keep moving if people weren't receiving the message or if there was a threat to their lives. So they move on to another place. But this is different. There's no reference here to a Jewish synagogue in Lystra. It's about 50 kilometers away from the previous town, Iconium. Um, And so they didn't have this Jewish framework to start with. So they started at communicating in a rather different way with a very interesting outcome. This was pagan uh, Roman Empire culture. Real paganism here that they were encountering. So let's find out what happens as we read verses 8 to 20. In Lystra, there was a man Who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The, The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he's not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. But even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. Well, there's never a dull moment in the book of Acts. That's one thing for certain. What an extraordinary story when they arrive in the town of Lystra. It appears that Paul, because he didn't have the synagogue, would have gone into the marketplaces or the public squares and started speaking about Jesus. And he probably spoke about Jesus being the true God and the temples having false gods in them. But then the thing that triggered the big response was a miracle. A lame man who'd been lame from birth suddenly being healed and rising up and walking. Well, that was truly astonishing. Now, this has happened already in the book of Acts. It's been documented by Luke that Peter performed almost an identical miracle in Jerusalem at the beautiful gate, right in the very early days of the church, as recorded in Acts chapter 3. And now we see a similar miracle. And it was something very dramatic because beggars who were lame were very common all over the world. Uh, in those days. And they would beg in strategic places in cities. So this man would probably have been very well known. And suddenly he's healed. And this had such a dramatic impact on the crowd that being followers of the Roman and Greek religion, which had many gods, they literally thought that Paul and Barnabas were gods coming to them in human form. They were so impressed by an outstanding miracle that they started naming them after their gods. Now, this was a very unusual occurrence. Barnabas, they called Zeus. Now, to the Greeks, Zeus was the king of the gods, the father of the family of gods, The Romans knew Zeus as Jupiter, that was their name. Like the most important of all the gods, and they thought that Barnabas was the leader of the team, and they called Paul Hermes. Hermes was a son of Zeus, and his job was to be a messenger for the gods. And so they thought Paul is the messenger because he was the main speaker. So they said, you must be Hermes. Barnabas, you must be Zeus, you're gods. Nobody else can perform miracles like this. We've seen something incredible with our own eyes. I don't know how this would have worked out, but the whole crowd became so excited that the priest of the temple of Zeus, a temple just outside the city, as, as Luke states here, thought that he needed to do something about this. So he thought, right, we'll make a sacrifice to these new gods. We're not going to make a sacrifice to the statue in the temple. We're going to make a sacrifice to these living gods because they've actually come to live here. They've come to visit us. So he bought animals, bulls, to make sacrifice and wreaths to give them as a sign of honour. This was such a shock to Paul and Barnabas. It was the last thing they wanted. They had already said, we're preaching in the name of Jesus. He is the one who heals. We're just his agents. We're just his representatives. But no, the crowd wanted to perform a sacrifice, not in the temple, but right there on the street, in a public place, probably in the market square, And so Paul and Barnabas had to very quickly intervene, rushing into the crowd saying, stop, 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 stop. No, we can't have this this sacrifice. You can't do this. This is not the right understanding of what's going on. It's the power of Jesus that has made these things happen. Your gods are idols. They're false gods. There's a true God. It's Jesus. He's the creator God created the earth and the heaven. Look at the way the earth works and look at the harvest cycle. That comes from God and now Jesus has come from God and this healing comes from Jesus and salvation comes from Jesus. So Paul got very animated in the crowd, trying to stop them performing this ceremony of sacrifice. This is a very intense situation. Emotions are running high. And just as it's at a very intense point and it's not clear entirely whether the crowd is going to accept that they're gods or not, Paul is debating with them. Luke tells us that at the that very moment everything changes because from some Jews came from the other towns he'd been in who were completely against Paul, they'd been following Paul along the road And they arrived in town with a definite intention of discrediting Paul and Barnabas. And they saw what was going on in the crowd. They saw this possible sacrifice. They saw this hero worship, this attempt to say that Barnabas and Paul were Greek gods. And they challenged all that. They said, these people you don't need to believe these people you know these are they're just leading you astray they just want to make money out of it they're deluded i don't know what they said exactly but they challenged everything and the crowd's mood changed isn't it amazing how crowds can change their opinion very very quickly you see that in a sports stadium you see the crowds at political rallies you see crowds in public places in extreme events they can they can change the mood of a crowd can change it's almost like the wind blowing through the crowd and that's exactly what happens here suddenly people thought hang on a minute this isn't so good after all and they heard horrible things and accusations being said about Paul and Barnabas so they turned against them and these jewish visitors were encouraging them to pick up stones and start stoning Paul So they took him out of the city and they started throwing stones at him and he fell down on the ground and they thought he died. They went back into the city. But the new believers in Jesus gathered around him and amazingly, he was okay. Injured, no doubt, but certainly not seriously injured, certainly not dead. He got back and went back into the city. Well, There's a man of courage and conviction. And so the next day they felt it was right to leave in order that there wasn't another big confrontation. Well, this is dramatic, isn't it? This is an amazing story and you never quite know what's going to happen next because things change so very, very quickly. But there are things we can learn from this story, a story that's 2,000 years old, but it has some principles that we can learn from. Here's the first thing that I want to put to you as we come to our time of reflection, as we think about uh, what we can gain from this. There are different evangelistic strategies according to the people you're trying to reach. And this applies to all of us. There are different ways of communicating about Jesus. And we have to adapt our way of communicating to the people we are talking to. And Paul had two very different strategies, even in this passage. When he went into the synagogue in Iconium, he referred back to the texts of the Old Testament in detail. He quoted many different verses, prophecies, in the Old Testament, he had a very detailed biblical discussion with the Jews because that was the way they thought, that was what they knew, that's what they studied. So he preached from the Old Testament. Now when he got to Lystra, there was no synagogue. We have no reference to any Jewish population here. He went out in the streets, and he probably talked about the fact there's one true God, Jesus Christ, rather than all these other gods and all this other witchcraft and occultism and superstition in your culture. And then he performed miracles, particularly a dramatic miracle. So he preached more about the difference between Jesus and the gods that that existed in their culture. Now, that's a very, very different approach to the way he approached the Jews, where he went back and based everything on the Old Testament. There are different ways of communicating. And we need to learn from this. So I wonder how this applies to you. There's different ways of communicating with your family members than with people you don't know. You've got an established relationship with your family members, and it's a more sensitive form of communication to talk to your family members who aren't believers. If you talk to people who know about Christianity and the Bible, you can start uh, from everything that they know already, but some people you'll talk to about the gospel know virtually nothing about Jesus, and you need to decide what's the best way to introduce him to them maybe your own personal story or testimony and miracles that he's done. But the one common factor in all forms of evangelism is telling the story of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Undoubtedly, whatever strategy Paul used, he always had that as the centerpiece. Jesus, living, dead, raised again from the dead and the significance of his death as an atonement for sin somehow or other, we do have to get to that truth and it's interesting how miracles play a part we can pray as we are speaking to people about christ that there may be miraculous circumstances or miraculous events that help draw them to him that happened to many of us uh, as we came to Christ, so we can pray this for others. Paul prayed for miracles to happen, and that drew attention to the gospel. So there are different strategies. What are the different strategies that you need to adopt in your life and in your witness? Now, the second thing I want to uh, use by way of a reflection in this talk is to, to discuss the concept of apostles. Apostles. Because here in this passage, Luke identifies in verse 4 and verse 14, Paul and Barnabas as apostles. And <clears throat> there's a lot of discussion in the church today about apostles. I've commented on this as we've gone along uh, in this uh, study of Acts from time to time. But at this point, I'm going to just pause and say something a little bit more substantial about this topic. We know that Jesus appointed 12 apostles and they are the foundation of the church. One of them, Judas Iscariot, uh, betrayed Jesus and another one, Matthias, was added to the 12. They're the foundation. But we also know from the evidence of the book of Acts that several other people were definitely added into the group with a similar status to the twelve. We know this applies to James, the half-brother of Jesus, from a reference in Acts, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. And <clears throat> we know that it applies to Paul uh, on the Damascus Road. And in this text here, we see in verse 4 and 14 that the status of apostle is given to Barnabas, And we know, therefore, that Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to and spoke to a few people to add to the 12. Maybe there were a total of 15, maybe there were a total of 20. It was a small number who had experienced Jesus in the resurrection and were commissioned by him. So the apostles, as described in the book of Acts, are this group of first-generation believers who encountered Christ in his resurrection. They were appointed personally by Jesus to be his representatives and the primary missionaries, initially sent out with the authority to teach, to found the church, and with power to do miracles. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 12, Paul says that apostles perform signs and wonders. It's one of the marks of an apostle. And these were listed by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 to 8. So all the evidence of the New Testament suggests that the way they thought about apostles was that they were leaders in the first generation of the church who had a personal commissioning from Jesus Christ himself. And Paul describes himself as the last one to be added in, 1 Corinthians 15, he said that he was the last because his appointment to be an apostle was after all the others. And Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road, which then leads us to ask the question, are there apostles today? Well, not in the New Testament sense. But in a secondary sense, we may say that some people perform similar functions, but the authority Uh, Their final authority uh, is not knowing Christ in person, but is the authority of the Word of God, which uh, rules over all of us. And so sometimes we may describe pioneer missionary activity and setting up and planting churches as apostolic because it reflects the pattern of the New Testament. But we have to say that the Book of Acts Clearly identifies the apostles as that first generation group of people, maybe 15, maybe 20, maybe more. Uh, About 15 are named in a way that we can identify, based on the 12, the 12 of the foundation, who Jesus commissioned and called and authorized to found the church. And it's the apostles and their direct associates who are the writers of every book of the New Testament, including this book, the book of Acts, which is written by Luke. Luke, of course, wrote the gospel and he was the direct associate of Paul. And he represented Paul's authority in his writing, particularly in the book of Acts. We'll find later on that he literally is traveling with Paul on some of his missionary journeys. So the way that he uses the word apostle here defines it as a first-generation reality. But we want the church to have a pattern of life that's similar to what the apostles did. Keep pioneering, keep planting, keep stretching out, keep building the kingdom, keep extending the kingdom through more churches in more places. Well, this story is not over yet. Here are these brand new churches that Paul keeps leaving behind in each city because he leaves rather quickly. What's going to happen to them? How are they going to be cared for? That's what we're going to find out in the next episode. Hope to see you then. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.